what's up y'all this is part two of a multi-part episode so if you have not heard part one yet then by all means go back and listen to part one which should be the previous episode before listening to this one and if you have listened to part one then by all means go ahead and enjoy what's to come and here we go I feel more stories like that have to be made public because I think it gives a real interesting blueprint as to how, like, I feel like when we see people, we only kind of see the end result. So people just see Selma and they just think some white studio just picked her and that's what happened. And a lot of times media outlets and stuff will kind of like tell that story because it's sexier and it sounds more Cinderella-ish. But I feel like it's great for people to hear more stories like that about how, um, what tricks people are doing. I don't want to say trick sounds like it's pejorative, but, 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 but you know what I mean? Like, like, like what clever ways people are doing to make their own space, you know, what they're doing. Cause in this day of the internet and instantaneous transmission, you know, like, well, like for example, like you said, back in the day, she'd have to have film reels. You'd have to mail them or courier them to various parts of the country and coordinate them. But now you can just make things digitally. Technology allows things to be uploaded to clouds or FTP across the country in 10 minutes. You know, like, it's very good, I think, for people to hear those kind of stories. Like, they're not particularly sexy or glamorous, but there's a lot of ingenuity involved. And because there's a lot of... Well, you, you got to pay uh, her dues. I mean, she yeah. she's a very intelligent and savvy marketer and business person and she's got incredible drive i mean that's the one thing i i always say you know when we were driving around in my beat up hoopty to get to these tv stations she was always tweeting she never complained she was in you know and and it was it was nothing was ever a problem you know so i think you have to have the right personality if, if that's where you want to be um but but um you, you one, you got to believe in yourself. And then also you have to, you just have to, however you want to define it, you have to look at metaphysics, you know, Not, and the one thing I've learned from talking to thousands of and studying stories, you know, once, once you, you, you start with the intention, but once you take the initiative, then things have to happen, you know, things start to happen and they have to happen. And it's always interesting how, how things kind of work themselves out you know so that when people say never quit that's that's really what they mean um don't don't block your blessings you know you say if you if you say you want to do something just do everything you can to accomplish it and take, take something the loss take the losses along with the wins you know but just trust that it's gonna get get you where you need need it to be so that's something that we always have a conversation about on this show um, and it's a conversation that happens a lot in, in a lot of black circles is this idea of self-efficacy versus this idea of um, pulling yourself out, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And a lot of people tend to kind of conflate the two ideas. But I think what you just described is more along the lines of, of uh, self-efficacy. You know, you know that there are going to be certain obstacles. You know that there are going to be things that come into play that to that can be um, a hindrance but you know you have to push through those and be able to uh you know have a plain set of goals in mind and push through yeah, the obstacles well, ra to racism reach exists and i'm not going to say it doesn't it's a huge obstacle but i think the biggest obstacles against our, we we created ourselves because we don't help one another you know and i've seen i've seen so many things that had 
great promise die because people start getting into their ego and they get selfish and and then the hypocrisy is what turns me off when people start i mean i'll give you a prime example i don't mind i've said it before is jada pinkett with that bs after um will smith didn't win for concussion she gets on facebook and she's saying oh we got to make our own movies we're not we're gonna boycott the oscars and all this stuff and it's like so then I'm like, okay, well, Jada, okay, if you really mean this, why, where are the other opportunities you've created for people outside your family? You know, like, you know, if you look at her producing credits, I think she she produced two movies or something, you know, like that that her family wasn't directly involved with. I mean, where where is your student film credit? You know, I mean, I just put up a movie with Regina King. Yeah, a big problem I had with what Jada was doing was that she had no rumblings about this before until Will Smith was nominated for an Oscar. And then once that thing was done, she's made no rumblings about it since. And I didn't really disagree so much with what she was yeah, saying I mean, what was so much that, as the motivation. Okay, we're going to win Oscars now. We, uh, we're going to make quality now. And then the next movie on our IMDb is Girls Trip. I mean, come on. You know, that's, that's hypocrisy right there. And... And then she's sitting on a couch and I'm like, okay, how much did that couch cost? You know, how you could have made, you could have financed some, some young person's film with that couch money, you know, and then you get on Jimmy Kim when you talk about how you and Will choose to go on vacations. Can you take one less day to be in Bali and put it towards helping a young brother or sister get her dreams out? You know, I mean, you know, that's, that's the brainwashing part you know, about money, you can never have enough, it seems, you know, and how much, how much giving back, you know, what, what has to come to your attention for it to become a problem that you can solve. And, you know, Kevin Hart, I said, you know, when, when he was going around, I, wait till I get to a billion. It's like, do we need, and Jay-Z, I'm, I'm a billionaire. It's like, do we need a, do we need all black people to have a billion dollars to solve some of these really simple problems? You know, but, I mean, but, but, but when they get there, then they don't do it. What they do is a fraction of what they could. Yeah. And I'm never, I'm never going to tell anybody what to do with their money. I just think it's hypocritical for you to have that platform and say those things. And then the actions are, are not reflective of it. You know, I mean, I, I give, I give Forrest Whitaker ultimate credit. He's done more him and Tyler Perry. I'm sorry. Mike is Tyler Perry first. Cause he, he, oh, he, he opened the door for the South. You know, he made a lot of people believe and created jobs and opportunities also. I mean, not, I'm not going to say Oscar caliber, but he, he's, he's created a lot of, he circulated a lot of money in the black community and created opportunities. Spike Lee before that, I think maybe, and Ava's doing it too. You know, I think every generation you see people that take that as their mantle. Why, you know, how come there are no black people on the wall kind of thing, you know, and going back to, Harry Belafonte and Bill Cosby and, and Melvin Van Peebles refusing to um, shoot a movie unless there were black union members, you know, uh, for the studio. So, so that's important. But I would say Forrest Whitaker gets my number one because he put Ryan Coogler on. He identified that man's talent, created the opportunity for Fruitvale Station for $3 million. And that $3 million investment has turned into a billion dollars for Hollywood between Creed, Creed II, and Black Panther. He's, you know, but but if that Fruitvale, if Forrest Whitaker doesn't call him in and say, what ideas do you have? Then this guy's on Instagram, you know what I mean? So it's a very simple fix. I mean, you know, that was a $3 million movie, but, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. And it's, you know, I just, I just don't want when people... And we're saving, we're saving them in a lot of ways too, you know, but just look at the patterns, you know, it's the same, 
pattern when rappers were getting put on and they saw money in rap music and look at where we are now you know so if you're getting if you're getting a check use it to don't don't think it's the be all and end all because you know um people people they'll start making compromises that aren't cool if they get addicted to that money too much you know so you know the, so i i just i just feel like the platform right now is helping black people feel good every day and and maybe there's some people out there watching that okay maybe they it takes pressure off them because they don't feel like they're reinventing the wheel they can take like you i mean i'm not a big thomas soul fan but you know if you if you take information from him and you apply it to where you are and you use it to make things better then then that, that was that's the role that i'm playing right now you i feel know. one thing with tyler perry right i agree with a lot of um, the stuff you said, and I think he gets a little bit too much of a bad rap. And what I mean by that is he his work isn't the best craft possible, but I do like he's someone who clearly seems to like black people. He clearly seems to be making stuff primarily for his audience, and whether uh, white people like it or not is a secondary concern to him. It's, whereas something like Blackish, I feel like is more to impress white or mixed race audiences the black people are like a bonus or at least at best half the concern like I, like that's something that's been kind of lost a lot of black art like we're this boom of black art in the 80s and 90s from hollywood shuffle through to like the late 90s of stuff seemed to really be like for us and by being for us but being good a lot of times it ended up getting a white audience too you know you know what i mean and i was saying in the from the 80s to the 90s you know there's a hollywood shuffle i'm gonna get you sucker well well, well, there's two, there's a wave, it's two ways things get. I mean, first, go back to Tyler Perry. One, I mean, the thing about Tyler is he, he, I think he and Kanye West are the only true artists because they, they have ultimate power in terms of they do whatever they want and they get away with it, you know? So, and they make a lot of money for people. But Tyler earned that right because he spent his own money. He, he found a lane that nobody else was checking for and he cultivated it in theater and and he even though when it translates to film it doesn't work in terms of what we consider a film he, his audience knows the the cues and the codes you know it's almost the same thing um james brown did in the 70s it's like he worked so hard on the road that he when he put that live album out it was it just blew it was like setting off an atomic bomb you know so so i think the fact that he cultivated his brand identity prior to the mass exposure is is to his huge benefit. And then Kanye, you know, his whole thing about, you know, like working on three beats a day, you know, all summer for months or whatever, you know, he, he had, he put that deliberate practice in and, and, you know, through. Yeah. Through but, the that, help but that's of, what uh, I mean. What I mean through, is through like, the help um, of Jay-Z, he managed what, what, what I like about Tyler is that he did that. He made his own audience. He wasn't worried from the beginning of how can I get white people to like, he just made things for black audiences that weren't ever being underserved. Like there was, when you watch the stage plays, I've watched the stage and that's something that's not even really even made for all black people. Like, um, the Spike Lee crowd is really not going to like a lot of those stage plays like he made it for a yeah. very specific audience that is not used to having made for them and i think by building that base he became too good to ignore as far as like the machine Lionsgate. they instead of coming in and trying to audition saying hey i can make stuff that can appeal to everybody and then having to take notes from them because if you go from the top down that's what you have to do he just came with his audience and now it's like he can do what you said which is get away with yeah 
whatever he wants without having to take notes because he came in with his audience. That's why I say he's he's a true artist. I mean, the detriment is that he hasn't really leveraged his power to create more opportunities for others. That's what I was going to get to next. Like, I like that part of it, but what I don't like about him is exactly what you said, which is he had this Twitter post recently that he was very proud of that kind of mortified me when he said, hey guys, check this out. I still do all my own writing. And he had a picture of all these scripts. I'm like, one of two things is possible. Either he's telling the truth and he really does do the writing on every single last one of his shows and movies, which to me is crazy because at some point you want to delegate or whatever. Like, why are you still doing all your own writing, right? Or B, he's lying and he has ghostwriters, which again is not creating opportunities if you, these people aren't getting their names. But other people like Richard Pryor, uh, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence, Keenan Ivy Wayans, they all worked on each other's stuff, uh, Paul Mooney, and built each other's, you know, names. Like, you know, Paul Mooney wrote for Richard Pryor and he also wrote for, I believe, uh, Eddie Murphy. Martin Lawrence wrote, he co-wrote uh, Raw and Keenan Ivy Wayans wrote on uh, a lot of Robert Townsend stuff, and they all kind of created a little Black Hollywood for themselves. Well, and, at the time when there were so few people, yeah. I mean, Martin, uh, Martin, not necessarily. I mean, Martin was in Boomerang, but I think uh, Keenan got the Keenan and Robert wrote the intro for Raw, just just for clarification. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, uh, uh, and again, oh, no, but but the, wait, no, Martin Lawrence did do some writing on on Raw. I'm I'm pretty sure. I have to look it up again. But I thought, uh, I thought uh, you know, the people can Google that. But I mean, I, yeah, I you know, but I mean, somebody also mentioned you know Hollywood likes new. You know, you have to be. I mean, when I met Robert Towns, he's like, you can only be discovered once. That was his whole thing. So be make, make sure you're ready because they they want the flavor of the month. They can market flavor of the month. Once you've tried and you haven't had success, then you get a stigma attached. And, you know, like if you're Kevin Hart, you can fight past that stigma and, and win again. And then sometimes a lot of times like the winner, the people that have lost and then won, they get more resilient and they because they don't want to lose it again, you know. So but most most of the time things are marketed to you. So if you're talking about network television or movies that got made in the 90s, it was because the white people in Hollywood didn't really know what was going to sell. And here was a guy out of film school. Here was a girl out of film school had the potential to be the next Spike Lee or who, whoever they wanted to identify. I mean, John Singleton was that next Spike Lee. There was a Hollywood version of what Spike Lee represented and it worked for him, you know, but you can talk, I don't know. I don't know if she said on record, but, you know, when Julie Dash had Daughters of Dust and Holly Garima had Sankofa, they were making tons of money. But did Hollywood want to bring them into the fold? No, they they wanted to have their own invention that they could control that represented that um, energy, you know, so. So yeah, you have to, you just have have to be cognizant of of it, you know, what lane you want to play and then who your allies are. It would be great if you saw a power move, you know, where, where it wasn't just whoever's hot at the moment. I think if you look at like an up, well, they keep talking about Uptown Saturday Night being that movie, that that was a power move. What you're saying, Black Pack was a power move, you know, like what, what's going to be the posse cut? movie um yeah and that's kind of what annoys me with tyler um for the record you were right by the way uh keenan ivy wayans was the co-writer on raw you're right mm-hmm. martin lawrence uh didn't co-write that um but they worked together. but, 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 worked but like you said he wasn't he wasn't boomerang and stuff there's a whole bunch of people in that gospel play circuit 
You know, uh, that gospel play circuit predates predates Tyler Perry, and it still goes on without him. And I would think, wouldn't it be great if he had some kind of thing where he reached back and pulled up a bunch of those writers in that circuit and kind of created like a a pack of allies, like you know, a, a kind of new black pack from that from that segment. And it kind of disappoints me that he's never done well, that. I, because I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily imagine it as that, but I, I would say. Because, I mean, David E. Talbert is equally talented. I mean, unfortunately, he's gone through the studio system in a way where he doesn't get as many shots. Tyler reinvests. He has a, a ironclad deal where he, he's guaranteed a certain amount of money for everything that he does. And he's he's refined it in a way where he can do things very cheap and quickly. And it, it seems to work for him. And, and once, you know... Paying $13 or $14 to see that stuff in the theater is a problem. But once it ends up on TV and they can run 24 hours straight of Tyler Perry, then it seems to work. People don't mind. But I, I would say, you know, one of, one of the observations I've always had about Black business, we tend to name it after ourselves. And then when we are no longer there or able to run the business, the whole business dies. You know, whether it be a candy store or Bill Cosby or Oprah. I mean, why why are these people naming the business after themselves? Or and people they, who get control the of the purse strings, they could still capitalize off of the name, like what happened with famous Amos Cookies, for example. You know, so that's... Well, what, that poor guy, yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm saying like, you know, we, we invest so much energy in Oprah, but the minute, you know, she just said, oh, I had pneumonia, like, shit, you know, where is all that money going to go? <laughs> I mean, who's going to pay attention? Once she's gone, you know, like, is is there even a job? You know, sort of like when, when they broke the Jackson 5, um, you know, Marlon and Jackie were still viable, you know, but nobody was going to pay to see them, you know. So, and, you know, again, going back to Cosby, it's like, you know, who who even feels comfortable watching an old episode of Cosby show. So, you know, but if he had diversified in a way where he he wasn't the sole focal point, you could withstand it. Like nobody can look at, people can watch Shakespeare in Love and not feel bad because it was Harvey Weinstein, you know, because it was called Miramax, you know, and then Apple, you know, some if you found out some horrible stuff about Steve Jobs, you still work your Macintosh because it's not called the Steve Jobs computer, you know? So there's there's a lot you can put stigma on a name and then it just makes the whole great, thing. You know that's collapse. a great observation. That's a great observation. I hadn't even yeah. thought about it from that level before. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. A lot of times we've discussed on this show uh, the transition in, in the music industry from a more uh, from what the the late eighties nineties mentality of you know more conscientious community focused music into what it is now, you know, the more individualistic, uh, hedonistic type, you know, pursuit of pleasure type deal. And uh, you br- you made me think of this when you brung up, I think it was at the Black Filmmaker Society and uh, when you, you mentioned at the end of the house party credits or something along those lines. Have you noticed that there's a, a different focus in the messaging of Black film now than it was back in the earlier times? Because it seems to me like just what I got from a lot of earlier Black film was this over, overarching uh, sense of community. So even in stories that have a, had an individual focus, you know, for example, let's take Claudine, um, where it was about a Black single mother, uh, it was still within the context of, of a greater community struggle. Whereas it, it seems to me, um, at least now, a lot of film messaging in Black circles is more individualistic and more fragmented. Have you noticed a shift like that, or you know, am I looking too much into it? Have you noticed that at all? I think um, you're right. I agree, and I would say 
the shift as I as I see it is um who gets to tell the story, right? And from what perspective? And you know, how far back do you want to go? It's, it's it, I mean, the, the the breakthrough is you don't really have to ask for permission anymore. That's Ava's mantra. You know, don't ask for permission. Just go ahead and do tell the story you want to tell. Um, and that's that's opened a lot of doors for people that mindset. But also, I think you know, the gift and the curse is you know, like if, if you remember the Jay Z um, music video that had like Little Rel and Issa Rae and everybody and they're all doing the black version of friends and then and then the guy comes in and it's like who asked for this who who wanted this who asked for this in the first place you know the the liberation of being able to tell your own story isn't just to replicate um yourself in in what's already been done the the the, the white trope to re, you know but it's to reimagine your existence you know as yourself to empower yourself you know and i think that the wave that we are in you know, and I think you guys touched on one of your earlier podcasts. You have to look at who's funding these things and what their motives and objectives are. So Netflix, um, they're happy if you walk in and you say, I want to tell this story. It's never been told. Um, people have been wanting this story for decades and they'll finance it. And, you know, but then the stick is it has to exist within their imagination. Right. So the easiest thing to and get you through, have to take their notes and stuff. Well, well, that's going to happen where on, on, on any level you're going to you're going to have to. Yeah. It's a collaborative thing. You know, if you don't listen, you're, then you're, you're going to fuck up. You know, um, you'll be like um, Homer, Sis- Homer Simpson when he got the chance to design the car for Danny DeVito. You know, um, he's like he's pushing all the executives, all the experts away. No, no, this is my my every man's car. And then they, you know, you, you have to listen to other people and you have to because it's, the ideas come from everywhere you know you just you're the filter you're the conduit of of the idea you your passion your drive it's is what you're shaping the thing that already exists you know in your imagination so something that was sad about that jay-z video you mentioned by the way a lot of people missed the message of that on twitter a lot of people were there was a bunch of people all over who were like oh my god it's exactly what we need a black version of friends can you imagine you know and show people that you know black people have can live lives like friends and you know some people were like no that wasn't the point of the video the point of video was that that would be whack make a black version of friends yeah well unfortunately i don't know in a commercial space how far we can really advance the ball i you know because you have to be where the rubber meets the road a lot of audiences are con- like you said earlier conditioned to want to feel good all the time you know so as yeah, long as yeah, exactly. as long as you it's sort of like um you know comedians will say i think it's richard price like some sometimes i want to take the joke further but i just need to laugh you know so it's like you know sometimes you know, it's like i really want to wake these people up more but if i if i push it too far it'll just be for me you know so i mean i like the story of oj but i had problems with like the video it worked against what the song was saying you know but at the same time if you turn the song off you just look at the images it's if you get the references then he's it's a great piece of art i like mark romantic but it's it's very conflicting but jay-z's conflicting i was just gonna say that yeah he sold drugs to your grandmother (laughs) you know so i don't don't really trust that fool but you know if he's if he's the modicum of success and and he has a little bit of energy towards making things right then i'm okay with it but um 
you know, I mean, I, I think, to, to, I think to, me, to all... me, the thing with the whole people missing the point, the video and saying, oh yeah, that would actually be dope uh, to make a black version of Friends is I think it kind of opens up something that uh, you just touched on. This thing it touched on a lot. The audience plays a role too. Like we can wish for different behavior by the studios. We can wish for different behavior by black creators, but there's also limitations also in a lot of black audiences now where all they want to do is see black versions of popular white shows and then it becomes a chicken or the egg thing is the audience limited because the creators and studios have trained them to be or are the studios and creators limited because the audiences have given them the message that this is all we're ready for now in audience nowadays and i wonder what you think about that before you even say that as far as like the black versions of friends and whatnot really is odd about that is we had that before that existed you know what i'm saying exactly there was always the living singles you can even put you know martin and and all of those shows that that had that that dynamic where you had a group of friends going on this whatever the journey was together now martin was the focal point i guess the more analogous thing would be seinfeld or something like that but we had martin but but you know but but you know it was it was pretty much a lot of evidence that friends was consciously an imitation of living single like uh when living single came out they asked the president of nbc which show from another station if you could take it would you take and he explicitly said living single right. i love that show those and shows were prime a year time later at that time living single was yeah, wasn't living single was prime yeah. time at that it was a one yeah, of yeah, the leading yeah, shows pri- on it was Fox. prime time it, it, yeah. it was it was the second the third highest uh rated show in black households and then like the, the the following year or two friends came out under the same nbc president who specifically said he wanted um his own version of living single and a lot of people speculate that that was not a coincidence well, well they use us to experiment that's the first thing, right? They use they use black to experiment. So you know, if it's tried out a new director, you know, if you go to the '70s, a lot of a lot of people that went on, you know, to have big careers in Hollywood started out making cheap black movies. You know, UPN. You know, when they when they said we want some extra networks, Fox and UPN, the first stuff they put on was black stuff because they knew we would gravitate to it. But the minute found their footholding and they got their NFL contract or wherever it was that, that they could put them in the big league. They abandoned those people and we abandoned those folks as well. You know, I mean, it's, same it's with like WB, we, same, you know, same like system. Paul Mooney would say black, white folks, they perpetuate their mythology constantly. We only get one shot, you know, so, you know, and we behold it. It's sort of like when, when they remade Roots, I was against it, but, but then, you know, when I think the same year they they had like five O.J. Simpson movies. It's like, well, what 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 are they trying to remind us of? So, you know, for me and my imagination, I, I just wish we were just more freer and we weren't fearful of consequence. But the reality is, if you don't deliver hits, you don't stay in the game. So, you know, a lot of people and a lot of people's intention is strictly to make money. It's not it's not necessarily to advance the art. And a lot of people who are making this stuff I think the are perpetuating the mythology is very important. I think you really hit on something there because the fact that's what Mario just said, so many black kids didn't even realize that the black version of Friends came first. But they also, they didn't stop to think, okay, even if you want to be unoriginal, why not just say, let's have a reboot of Living Single? You know, why do you have to say, let's have a black reboot of Friends? So there's the aspect that, A, they don't know about Living Single. So that's another way, that's one way to not perpetuating our own mythology. Even 
if they do know about it, they prefer to see the black version of the white ripoff than see a continuation of the original black version. Like, you know, it's, it's like even in our unoriginality, there's a inability to self-perpetuate. Well, I, I just want people to know what's good. I mean, honestly, I mean, you can occupy your time however you want. It was a, I came up at a time when you only had three choices of what to watch, you know? So it, it made people... It, it, it created a perception that black was a certain way, you know, and now that we're past that, you can watch whatever you want. I, I think movie industry, I mean, these theaters are definitely going to fail after this virus shutdown. You know, no one's going to want to be in a freaking movie theater at all for at least for another time, two yeah. or three years. You know, you have to invent a freaking spray that kills it on site for me to be around a bunch of people in a damn movie theater. You know, I, I'll I'll take getting shot over somebody coughing on me now, you know, so because that, that's how how fearful I am. But, you know, so I, I think the opportunity is that it, it can it can open up a game changing thing. You know exactly where your audiences are. People have already gravitated to Instagram naturally. You know, I, if you're on a bus or anything, you're watching black people, they're not they don't care for the most part. No, they're certainly not going to spend money to go see stuff in the theater. So you, you have to where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and give give people enough of what they like and what they want. I mean, I love Tiffany Haddish in that respect because she she's real to a lot of people and she's also very talented. But I think also the you know, as a as a artist, as a filmmaker, you have to understand the magic of it. You're a magician. You are for whatever period of time you have people's attention. You're controlling it's a sleight of hand, you know, so you, you have to understand how it's so many different things, storytelling, music, all these things conspire to, to make things great. And you, the only way that you can expect more from an audience or from filmmakers is if you demand more. And, you know, a lot of people just, they've been deprived of goods. They've been deprived of quality for a long time. That's why we still talk about Martin and, living single and that was well, almost 30 years ago yeah know? and speaking of the movie theaters not coming back into into play for a long time it was funny because i i've noticed that they're kind of experimenting with uh digital releases of these movies that were supposed to come out you know in april and and the uh the pursuing months and mm -hmm. what's funny about that is they're releasing these movies digitally but at you know, eighteen, nineteen dollars a pop. <laughs> so well, it actually was... costs more to watch it at home than it would in the theater, which I found. Uh, yeah, and, an and none of these strategy. movies are things that people are dying to see. Mm -hmm. they, like, let's say like a Marvel movie. Maybe you can get away with that because right. some people are such stands for Marvel movies. They can't even wait a week. They'll be like, "Oh, I gotta have it," you know. But mm -hmm. some of the stuff, like I saw Vin Diesel's. Bloodshot. That was a horrible and, and I, saw, I, I saw some drama that, you know, I'm like, no one's going to pay $20 that they need all. to see this now. Right. Yeah. Well, they're scrambling and I think they're experimenting because yeah, they I mean, for five or six years, they've been taught, like a lot of people have been saying, why can't, I mean, they've been, they've been in allegiance with the movie theater chains not to make things day and date at the same price, you know, and now this is a chance for them to, to test the waters and see not if people would pay money because we all have lots of free options but if the theaters don't come back and they don't have that allegiance anymore and they still get they can't write everything off you know how how can they stay resilient but i'm more concerned with human life i could care less about a freaking movie um what 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 plans do we have to make sure that people are safe you know so but yeah i mean that's 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 the industry that's the capitalism i think i think that black people need to figure out faster how to survive through this, you know, I don't want 
I don't want this to be mumble rap and I don't want to look back 10 years from now and say this was the renaissance because um, I, I feel like we could have gotten a little bit further. I mean, I was people are not happy about the C.J. Walker and all this other stuff, but at least Harriet Tubman, we had a chance to see it, you know, and I would hate to think that um, that's going to dry up because people are going to be more risk averse um, and and the fact that we have less money to, to circulate. And I also don't want to have this thing. I, I really want to get over this thing where we wait on mediums to die out. And then we have to scramble to figure out a way to get content out there as, you know, as opposed to kind of looking forward and, and coming up with things like, you know, for example, one day YouTube is going to die out, you know, and just like with any other social media thing and what's going to be, the, the next thing that people look to and a lot of black content creators that that operate primarily through YouTube or Instagram or whatever the case may be, you know, when those websites get less popular and begin to die out, they're scrambling to try to figure out, you know, what the next move is instead of kind of looking ahead and, and planning for things. You know, I just want people to. I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, Google probably has a thousand year business plan. Yeah. And YouTube is a big piece of it. And when we get to VR and 3D and all that stuff, mm. I mean, they're, you know, what what we need to look at. I mean, the only way it's going to die off is if the copyright laws shift it or the FCC changes it and throttles it so that you have to pay for everything that's that you value, you know. But right now, YouTube is winning even over the music industry. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to stop it. So, you know, and, and it, I felt great when I put, my friend's movie up and you know it it was instantly demonetized because of the music that he had in it you know so like all the songs that he had in the music he wrote and anytime somebody plays the film he gets a few pennies and i think i, I think in a perfect world rather than fight these things um they figure out ways to incorporate it. i mean i think that if you look at the record industry what destroyed that was their their unwillingness to ex accept the new trend in terms of Napster. Yeah. And they said at one point there were so many people just on Napster that if the record industry had just embraced it as opposed to spending all their resources to fight it, they would still, they, we'd still have viable music industry. And instead they lost everything. So I, I don't know. I, I, I just think Google has such deep pockets that it's, it's going to be a very difficult thing unless it's broken up and the same with Amazon. I think online video might not, but I do think the specific site of YouTube could end up being going the way of MySpace. Like, like, remember like how MySpace was like the top dog, but then someone uh, reinvented the wheel. Like, I don't think the wheel is going to go away, but somebody might come with a better version of the wheel because I feel like that's what people are doing now. Like Snapchat had this thing, which they were like a huge company. People were trying to buy them. And then Instagram just made their own version of stories. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, forget Snapchat. So yeah. I I think but if Instagram also bought WhatsApp and they also bought up uh, Facebook. So, or, or Facebook bought up Instagram and WhatsApp. Well, when we, you have that, many... yeah, Facebook bought up Instagram and WhatsApp. But the whole, the whole, the whole feature of Snapchat, which is basically made redundant, Instagram just stealing that uh, feature. And I think if, because one thing I know is YouTube is having problems with is people are getting really sick of their onerous standards for demonetizing. Like they're demonetizing willy nilly. If somebody with deep pockets just makes it anything goes 
monetized, you know, version of YouTube where they're not demonetizing people left and right. I could see a lot of people doing an exodus. People have no brand loyalty anymore, I noticed, to anything. Well, and, 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 and let's... You're on the other side of the wall. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I think, I think um, these corp, any corporate minded entity cares less about an individual and more about market share. So if there's any threat posed to something the size of YouTube, which is owned by and controlled by Google, they'll just buy them up the same way Disney buys up things, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, but Google has flopped in a lot of arenas. But I, I, I don't want to make- I don't want to get stuck on, you know, I maybe I I should have used the better uh example. Okay, but sorry. I don't want people to get stuck on the the YouTube going away because it could just change. be a just a just a shift in a business model that can cause great harm to to content creators. You know, a lot of people got off of YouTube just from a shift in policy in terms of how they monetize and demonetize uh, content and things like that. Um, a lot of people got deplatformed on on things like Facebook and Twitter, you know, and you can get your whole YouTube channel snatched up in a heartbeat now. And a lot of people yeah, rely on so. that. And so I just, that's what I was more along the lines of saying, like if something like that happens, yeah. When you lose everything like that, a lot of people go into scramble mode because they didn't have a backup plan. And so I just want people to kind of. Yeah, well, I mean, fortunately, I've I've never had huge overhead running the YouTube channel. Mm. So I like money. I love money, but I'm not addicted to it. Yeah. You know, and to me, it's about for me personally, it's about the conversations that are had. I could care less if money comes my way. It's nice to have resources to be able to do more. But to me trying to get it to a million subscribers and get movies out and have at the end everything kind of branded the same and people discovering me the benefit of that is that you get smarter the benefit is that conversations build the benefit is that i'm not the only person holding on to this information that that um people are reminded of things that 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 they may have forgotten about so so to me that i always went on that level but things I have no control over, you know, I, I just have to, I just have to um, stay focused, you know, like again, you know, the first, the first day of NYU, they're like, Chris Columbus is there, you know, and he's talking about how he got and broken to Hollywood, you know, by making a student film. And, the, you know, the first week I was at AFI, you know, Jack Nicholson's there and he's like, you know, I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't until I was 31 that I, I got a break in Hollywood. Before that, I was, I was just doing everything I could just, just to basically survive. And he said, I saw a lot of my friends get breaks before me and get on TV shows and be famous and everything. And then when Easy Rider came and he said, the, you know, I knew from then on what I was going to do with that success. And he became Jack Nicholson at that point. So, you know, those, those are, you know, you can look at me as a statue page to bring back your <laughs> Negro leave reference of black filmmaking. You know, I'm, I've always been really really good at what i do sometimes it's discouraging but it's nice to have a, a you can see you can see the finish line a little bit in terms of being able to reach people and um yeah and half and a million uh followers is a hell of a reach yeah. it feels good i mean it's built over time you know but but the thing is i mean the, everything that has ever happened to me in terms of opening the next door it's been as a result of one person it's not the masses it's just one person saw something and and they had an, enough power to i like what just like you called me up you know it's like mm-hmm. hey you can help me you know so i've never been somebody that's 
been trying to reach the masses. Every every turning point in my whole career has been the result of one person seeing something that I did and, and encouraging me to do more. So now I want to talk about your actual channel, because right? we were talking about the film industry and your uh, background in film in general. But I actually want to talk about the channel for people who have not seen your channel. Uh, the thing, like, how do you pick what to put on there? Because you find a pretty eclectic amount of stuff. Like, um, it's kind of a double-edged sword sometimes, because sometimes I discover things that I've never known about. That's really <laughs> interesting. Sometimes I find things I remember and I forgot about, and nostalgia is, like, really good. Sometimes I find things, I'm like, wow, I wish I never revisited that, because I remembered it uh, oh, so gosh. much better. Like, I, like I saw the kid, the kid in Play Saturday Morning cartoon. Oh, okay. And wow, that was bad I, I was like wow i didn't need i didn't need to remember how bad that was, that was... <laughs> well the fact that we Wait, had but you put it all up there you know and it's interesting to see uh i have eclectic taste and and um you know i i just i am addicted to black culture i just love how we express ourselves and you know i mean it's not i mean there's there's certainly certain certain things that i'm i wouldn't celebrate but i like again i think it's about the conversation so you know, we just we just dig in the crates. Just like if 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 I was a DJ, I'd be looking for the dope sample. You you find things and you try to you know. But what's interesting, you know, in terms of mixing politics and nostalgia and old movies and and new conversations, and then you know, it just invites people. You know, you and you can binge it or you you just get what you need or whatever. But hopefully we lock you into the algorithm and then you become more open-minded as a result. You'll, I'm you'll very interested more. in things that you find that are before your time. Like, like, cause some of it's really interesting. I know you weren't born yet. Like, there's something there called "Let My People Live" from 1938, which is like a newsreel about tuberculosis among black. Oh yeah. And yeah. I'm like, that's a really interesting out of left field topic or a newsreel. Like, how do you stumble upon that? L like, I get yeah, there's another things from more, our childhood, things from that, but that. stuff there's like that. I'm really interested in how you find. There's one of uh, um, a movie where Ruby D plays a woman who ends up with syphilis. The soldiers are spreading syphilis and she's a, a a bar person or something it's like not even on her imdb it's like it might it very well might be ruby d's first film and we we managed to find it sydney portier did one too for the government um before he got famous that i'm dying to find i mean if things that hadn't changed i would have been at the national archives a few weeks ago looking for it but um, you know, so, you, so, so, you, so, so, real, real quick question. You said you're dying to find that. So that means that you haven't found it yet, but you already knew about it. How did you find out about it? Because I assume most of these things you stumble on searching through stuff, but there's some stuff where it seems that you haven't actually found it yet, but you know about it. So, yeah, A, I want to ask how that happens. People, and B, are there other things that are like great white whales for you? Like things that you that's a very good are still trying, are still trying to find, but you haven't found yet. Well, the fun part, I mean, just like you, I discovered new things every day and and the privileges that that um you know the resources are there where i can i can pretty much spend a good part of my day looking for things or finding them but i mean i have to give a large part of my education to charles woods i mean i met him in the mid probably late 90s like 97 98 was the first time i made a trip up to new york to the 43rd chamber and he was running the store it was a, a landmark it was the only place in new york city that you get certain black films because they hadn't been put on video yet so he he would hold court and he would talk about the whole history of film and stuff and you know i'd get off the bus and i'd, I'd be there all day listen to him and then head back with a bag full of movies you know and uh, we lost touch for a while and then reconnected and i said you gotta you gotta share some of your information you know on this channel 
and that was about five or six years ago. So I learned a lot from him, and he's, like I said, been a long time collector. He started buying things when they were on 16 millimeter and reel to reel audio and all kinds of stuff. He's he has his collection exists in every format, posters, stills, everything. So every every time we talk, I learn something. But you know, so a lot of the older things might come from him or different archives there's the internet archive and you just scour it and you search just like if you're in a library and then okay. you know and, something and, you might and stumble the second part of that is uh any great white whales that you're desperate to find that you there's haven't some been able things to um i mean there's some things i've found but we can't share for whatever reason <laughs> you know i would wish uh that tony brown would make available the white girl you know but um it's not the. It's a horrible film. No, no disrespect, but it's one of the few that's not available at all to the general. What is public. what is that, by the way? I don't know what that is. Tony Brown from Tony Brown's Journal, PBS. When Spike Lee hit about 90, 1990-91, he was going to empower us all by making his own film, and it was called The White Girl, which was um, Ty Mock and Troy Bayer. And she gets addicted to cocaine. The white girl is the uh, oh. cocaine, but it also deals with her biracialness and the sort of class relationships that are going on in the movie. But it's it's hardly watchable, but it is something that people want to see. Um, Joe's Bedstuy Barbershop and all of Spike Lee's student work, I think, should be made available just for historical purposes, just so people can see it. So- um so you mean to tell me Ty Mac has film credits outside of The Last Dragon? The Last Dragon. He does. He oh, all, man. You know. <laughs> uh, I know I, I think it was an episode of Different World. And I remember that, too. And roll. He, yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, Ty, Ty Mac's my, my guy. I mean, every every time I see him, he's they're ready to do Last Dragon too. him and Michael Schultz. You know, in right. the perfect way. If I ran Netflix, I'd give them the money just to see it. Can you tell if you if, if they do? Can you put a bug in their ear and tell them to consider uh, the the former wrestler Booker T for the role of Shownuff? Shownuff. Oh, we have to bring Shownuff back because he's not around anymore. Right, but, right, right. You know that's my alternate good. universe. I would I would definitely find some money for Last Dragon too. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they brought back Karate Kid on YouTube, and that new argument. Karate Kid series is actually better than, good, the, than yeah. the original one, surprisingly. So, but, but it's you have possible. to imagine. I mean, I love Time Mac, but every time I see him, that's what he's telling me. Uh-huh. Right? So, can you imagine how good the movie would be? He's put thirty years of thought. Into <laughs> what he's gonna do with Last Dragon Two. I mean, a lot of a lot of these movies suck because people come up with the idea yesterday. Uh-huh. You know, so you, you have somebody who's thought about this thing for thirty years. It's got It's either gonna be the best freaking movie ever, right, or it's gonna be the worst piece of crap that you can imagine, right? Because because it, it's past its time. You know, it's like sour milk. And that's but what either that's way, what my I, fear would be would be that you know it uh it's past its time because a lot of things that run on nostalgia are not necessarily good when they come back and try to update it for a modern audience. Well, they're doing know? coming to America too. I'm just saying, give the guy a shot. If I, yeah, I would, give him a definitely. shot because for, for example, I would never have thought that that Cobra Kai, that Karate Kid series, because I thought Karate Kid was worse than Last Dragon. It was okay. But I mean, if you can make a good uh, Karate Kid series, you can definitely with thought make a good Last Dragon uh, return. So, well, in the words of the great Donald Trump, what do you have to lose, Black? people <laughs> you know, come on. give time Mac and michael schultz one last opportunity so we have at least have it you know yeah just you know so i'm with it i mean then you know the holy grail stuff people always like there's a movie yafik koto directed called the limit uh which seems to be lost somewhere and um 
and then the sound reels were together for days. They found the film negative or the print, but they don't have the sound for it. But that's um, Michael Schultz's first film, and um, and uh, Sam Jackson is in it. It's his very first film. So so I, w- I would love to see those come out. Um, I would love to see Save the Children restored and put in theaters with any extra bonus features, um, because that's Stan Lathan. Uh, they shot a concert film around 19, in the 1972 Operation Push convention, and it's all best music artists of the time, the Jackson 5, Bill Withers, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye, and clips of it are sprinkled around the internet, but um, it really needs to be restored fully. And uh, if they have any outtakes or whatever, I would, I would love to see that <laughs> stuff. Sam Jackson mm-hmm. was in that. I swear, that guy. I think he's gonna. We're gonna look back and find little snippets of him in every movie ever. Yeah, I mean, yeah every time I think I found his his earliest appearance, right, exactly. I always find like an earlier one. Yeah, you know? he's like the those. <laughs> and those, I refuse. Yeah. So the earliest one I've seen is called uh, Trial of the Moat, and it's on DVD. It was a TV, it was a play that they filmed for TV, and you see a young Sam Jackson there, and I might be late 70s or something. Yeah, like that, but, you know those horror he, flicks yeah, where, you, where you, there's like a vampire or something like that, and they see photographs, and then they go back like 100 years or something. They're like, wait, this guy was <laughs> here this whole time? <laughs> he's going to be like well, that, man. That's, that's, he's, got, he's, he's got two of those things. He's, he, 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 it took him a long time to get famous, so once yeah. he became famous, he, he stuck to his guns. I'm like, he, he will... I mean, I don't know that last Shaft movie. I don't know about. It must have been a ton of money, but, but for the most for the most part, he doesn't suffer fools. He knows exactly who he is. And then the other the other side of it, he he won and he lost. So now he's not trying to lose anymore. You know, gotcha. like he he came over overcame huge bad habits. You know, so I think I think that that's really and Michael Jackson the same thing. He you know if you look at his teenage years, there was there was a chance he 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 could have just befell the fate of Foster Silvers, but he. He found it within himself to persevere and become the biggest thing we've ever seen, the galaxy, you know? So, yeah. So I'm, I'm big. I always root for the underdog, you know? So, gotcha. Um, I want to backtrack on something you said because we have a section of our Discord where we give people the chance to ask their own questions of upcoming guests. And somebody asked, where did he f- and meet Charles Woods? And um, I, just, I, just I don't know who like... Charles Woods is, to be honest. And you've mentioned him before, and someone else actually asked about Charles Woods. So, can you uh, explain for people who don't know who Charles Woods uh, is and, and uh, how you met him? Oh, like I said, I mean, Charles Woods is my OG and we talk every day and he ran a video store in New York called the 43rd Chamber and um, he's just an expert black film but he also when he critiques film he uses sort of a Marxist lens so his whole core foundation is that um, we're not really seeing black film what we're seeing is reaction you know black film that reaches a commercial space is reactionary it's not proactive so so as a result we always see ourselves within the framework of someone else's imagination of who the place that we're supposed to that they feel most comfortable seeing us in and um that all film is designed to reinforce the status quo so whether you perceive it as the nature of um just the dramatic structure which is restoring creating conflict and then restoring order within a piece or just the nature of our society giving giving us some um, uh you know it's not going to rock the boat you're not going to put revolutionary countercultural messages and ideas into the mainstream and and provoke people to think you know when when you actually remember 43rd chamber that 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 was like in times square it had like uh, kung fu movies and stuff right exactly a lot of 
Yeah, it's strong. Yeah. Oh. oh so wow. so you know you know if he's if you're saying everything is designed to reinforce the status quo, which is you know white patriarchal dominance, then the job becomes where do you find the cracks? You know where you know and like Baba Dick, he would read the newspaper every day looking for the cracks. And you know for us, it's just you know maybe maybe there was a you know okay they're, they're doing the same thing over and over again. That's one one way to see it. It's like not much has changed. They they like seeing us a certain roles or depicting us a certain way. And then the other thing is when when do you break those patterns? You know, when do you get this and it's very few and far between, when do you get a chance to see a, a rebellious black male character, you know, or or somebody who's a little subversive, like a, a good luck Miss White cough or a place called today. I mean, we get them from time to time, but you know, like I said, the the bravest of us jumped overboard. So you know, you you have to you have to deal with where we are. I'm sorry if I missed it. If you said it, but um, how did you meet? How did you meet Charles? Like like, did you used to go into 43rd Chamber? Yeah, yeah. I come up from Philly, and um, oh, oh, so so you met him from visiting the store. Well, cool. the full story. I mean, I used to I I used to be a buyer at, at Video Library in Philadelphia, and we got a black film section, and you know, just by segregating the black films from the rest of the inventory, we we built a reputation, and you know, we we had it was one of the best video stores in Philadelphia. I mean, us and TLA, we were more independently run than TLA. But um, so we had a little more wiggle room. And and um, I think the first thing, um, badass mofo, David Walker, he was he had a fanzine where he was his goal was to review all the black exploitation. Was this Tim David Walker who um, does comic books and yeah, he's written for Marvel and DC and all that stuff. David, but he started out he was he's he's an artist. He makes he does everything, but he. He had a fanzine, and um, I I got a few copies of it. And then um, it turned out one of the few places, if not the only place, to get certain films was at the 43rd Chamber. So I made a pilgrimage up there, and and we just built a relationship. And then, you know, the store closed, or I went to, I moved or something, and we lost touch for about 12 years. And then when we we reconnected, we we had, you know, we, we, we started I started filming him talking about all the things that he would talk about in the store. And that's that's how people started to know him as the professor. So that that's um that's Charles's story. But he's he was he's he was programming film festivals in the seventies. He's got news clipping Nelson George wrote an article about him for the Amsterdam News in nineteen seventy eight. So he's he's had that same commitment. We're we're kindred spirits in a way and you know, one yeah, my, I knew Forty Third Chamber, but I just never knew about the guy behind it, or his name, or his story. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it runs deep. It runs deep. I mean, you know, but that's that's the that's part of the job, right? If you're a collector, if you have passion for things, you know, you you hope that things have value, but you you collect them anyway. I have two last questions from the from other people, and then I'll let Mario ask any last questions he has, and I think that'll be it. But yeah, uh, I hope you cut this. I, I don't think people are listen this long, but. I appreciate the time. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. But uh, Mtume uh, Gant, who uh, I think he's met you. I think he's actually met you before in um, at the Black Storm Film Festival. One of his okay. films. Uh, he's the occasional uh, guest host on this show. But he had some questions. One of his questions was, "What you think needs to be done to get black classic films that people don't know much about to get better circulated? Does Black Hollywood need to step in that effort?" That was, that's the question. In a perfect world, all this stuff would be restored. We, you know we wouldn't have to wait for a criterion to do it for us uh too much of what we make we don't see profit from and it causes a bitterness and reluctance 
from the, the creators of it to even revisit the memories of making films. Too often we wait too long to find out about things and then it, it becomes difficult to really get the, the true knowledge of it. In, in a perfect world, we should have had a criterion or somebody should have done the Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, you know, trilogy as a, a collector set. You know, there's a huge market would have been yeah. for that. And Here's a great example of Black Hollywood stepping in. How about Spook Who Sat By The Door? Uh, Tim Reed basically rescued that movie from obscurity. Absolutely, yeah. Tim Tim Reed is a, a, a pioneer of it was a self-reliance, you know, and he's paid huge prices to be able to say he was the first black to own a movie studio and and all that stuff and and he's he's the he's the most angry friendly guy i've ever met <laughs> and he's got a he's got a deep anger in him but but it, it never shows you know more people should even reach out to tim reed i think and and just learn the lessons because it's the same lesson you know a lot of people you know as holly Grima wants to think you know says he's like you you people think they're reinventing the wheel like the world just started when they were born and they don't take time to investigate the past and there's a reason why certain powers that be don't go out of their way to assign value to our past that's a crime you know it's a, it's a shame but i you know i'm i don't know what to do about it. I don't tell anybody what to do with their money, but I I can tell you once you're indoctrinated into that belief system that then suddenly you have some money or you have some fame or some success. Very few people reach back and help others attain that. So we it, it kind of becomes self perpetuating. But to answer the question, you know, I mean, I, you know, if you, if you make it, it's it's the public. I I think we're black audiences. If we were like only on black audiences. And black audiences are conditioned to want everything for free. Then you're not really going to get too far. And um, we don't really have grants anymore um, from the government or different agencies to just say this is important. It needs to be preserved. So everything kind of falls into a capitalistic paradigm. Whereas if it's not designed to make money, no effort or energy is put into it. So what's good about the YouTube space is there's no barrier of entry to that. As long as we're operating within their rules, we're allowed to share things. And like I said, I'm not concerned about profit because that's, that's never been my end game in terms of putting things on YouTube. But, you know, uh, I, we may be past the point where there's enough capital in any one place to go backwards. You know, there, there, when we had video stores, there was a huge market and tangible things where you could say, you know, it's worth digging this video out because we can press a bunch on DVD or VHS and get money back for it. But, you know, un unless there's a, a system in place to to truly monetize, I don't know. I mean, Viacom is blocking all this stuff and BET is taking over as B. Does BET even have the rights to reproduce in the streaming space an award show from 20 years ago? I don't, I, I, I think they just want it off, you know, and then that's, that's not necessarily good business, you know, but it's, it's protecting their property so yeah yeah the only way i've been able to find weird obscure stuff is by using a hack a hacked virus and streaming pirated things but even then now it's hard to discover 
because you have to know what you're looking for. You have to search it. There's no sense that you can just scroll anything and stumble on something interesting. So you have to actually know what you're looking for to find obscure black things if you try to use a hacked fire stick. So that's still not fully the answer. It's it's not the same as a video shelf where you can scan with your eyes and something catches your eye that you weren't even looking for and it's your new favorite, you know? Well, you know, we just want people to be in the habit of discovering things. That's that's my perspective and having conversations about stuff and and knowing that there is at least one place you can go to where you're not going to feel like you're under attack or that there's something wrong or that you're you know that it's always going to be the same you know but you know i you know this is a that's a bigger fight in terms of what people's intellectually intellectual property is and i certainly don't want to feel violated by anybody taking things that i created you know so i understand we just try to play by the rules but in terms of what in a perfect world should be we should have our own you know that's the only way you have power is if you have your own if people i mean this this it's nice right now that everybody's working or was working you know getting things made and getting experience and not having to spend their own dime but but the minute they decide, like you said earlier, hey, enough, it's over. And then and then you're going to suffer, you know. So, you know, to me, that's that's the crime when we if it's 10 years from now, we're looking back and we said we had it in our hands. It's still they only let five people through. And those are those are the five people we have to rely on to define our, our existence. Then then it's then it's just a repetition of the cycle. Because that's that's the interesting thing. If you if you did have an opportunity to look at those BT awards before they took them down, the same people that they that were presenting and winning awards in 2003, those are the same people that are still in people's face, you know. And they they benefit from the fact that they had huge industry promoting them at the time, and they were able to build a name for themselves and a reputation and grow. You know, it's criminal that you know. We, we have no movie stars. Halle Berry has to pretend that she's like a role for a 30 year old is still going to Halle Berry. Where's the 30 year old version? Why, you know, white, white, white people get new movie stars every year. We have to rely on the same five people. I mean, there's only five people black people want to go see in a movie theater. You know, I mean, Lakeith Stanfield, I love him, but that's, you know, you can't put him up against Denzel, you know, where, you know, where, you know, we have to, we have to, Crop rotation, you know, and, and that's where the Woody Kings and the training come in and, and then the complaints about British actors. Well, the British actors are new faces to most people. So but they've had 10 years of experience. They didn't didn't have a chance to fail on Nickelodeon, you know, but but, but I feel I feel like these these new faces, they're not quite the same. The old faces in that I feel like the old faces were uh, they did a lot of work, black spaces, and that allowed people to choose like like, for example, a Denzel. He was like one of the most handsome guys around but he was in a lot of uh black movies and they wanted to cast like black equivalent of what you know clark gable was you know for whatever but now that a lot of these people are coming up in mainstream white movies i feel like they're getting people who are kind of less threatening because white people are choosing them and white people i think are going to be less likely to pick a denzel to be in their movies so and this is no slam to the guy whatever but when you look at a john boyega and you look at denzel in his prime it's like nowhere close you know what i mean we're talking about in terms of looks and talent yeah in terms of looks and charisma not so much acting talent because i think acting talent is different than star power star power some stars aren't great actors and some great actors not really stars are just character actors like you know john brega might even be a better actor than denzel washington i don't know as far as like star power like magnetic presence like i feel like john brega is not really 
Yeah, I mean that I, guy compared I was, to a Denzel. I, saying, I, I talked to Debbie Allen. I was, did an interview here, and I was listening to it back, and, and she's like, "Well, yeah, there is only one Denzel. There's only one me. There's only one you." You know, so he he was gifted that charisma, and but I think certain people their role is to kick the door down and then make it easier for others. You know, but you know, so I don't have any complaint about in terms of like ranking people. You know, because obviously, if that were the case, you know, there's 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 nobody that can compare to Dr. J or Michael Jordan. I mean, you know, there's certain people that are superstars, and there's a reason. So yeah, I, I I agree, but I guess I guess what I'm saying is I feel like even if a new Denzel came along, they'd be more hesitant to let him in the in the door than before because I'm af- I think they're afraid of letting people get that much power who aren't. And and my my whole thing is who the fuck are they? Why give them yeah, yeah, your exactly. power? You know my my whole thing. Denzel Washington. It, it took a village to build a Denzel Washington. You know, I know I agree, at, but at I think certain... the village is gone. I think now we're more reliant on uh, white gatekeepers than we were. Like it's one of the few things I think has gone backwards. Like I feel like there were so many spaces. In well, the... that, that's why I love Monique. She she's not concerned with that. She she can yeah, fail exactly. in public every day. She gets on the internet and fails in public, and people still love her. You know, because she's who she is, and she has no apologies for it. And she, you know, and she's not concerned. She's had all those things and she's she's more concerned about her own presence and well-being and her own integrity than to do certain things just for money. And, you know, when we interviewed Bernie Mac, that was what he was saying, you know, and, and when he was on the red carpet, he's like, man, I'm tired of shucking and jiving. I'm I'm an actor now. And of course, he didn't live it out. But but I mean, it, it takes a it takes a long yeah, yeah you know, like it. Yeah, I would say like if 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 somebody had discovered me when I was twenty, I, I'd have been one and done. I would have I, my my only goal at that point would have been to direct a kid and play movie because that's all I knew. And that that, that I, I, I think you kind of indirectly answered my question. You know, I think uh, the answer is we have to get back to building villages. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. To get back to be less villages, concerned right? with with um, be less concerned, be more concerned about you know you know ultimately like you know we're we're at a time now where. I, you know, like we're so much fear. Like, did you wash your hands? Becomes the big question. You know, <laughs> so so you say, all right, if I'm if I'm dead tomorrow, what did I do? You know, what 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 did I represent? What did I stand for? You know, and 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 then you eliminate a lot of the BS, in my opinion. You know, and there and there are a lot of and yeah. I think honestly, the smart people are the ones that are going to win, and they're the ones that are winning. And these machines, they know exactly where you are at any time you snitch on yourself you know there's no you can't outsmart that you know so i i just want people to be smarter and think more and then maybe they get to a point where they they they're not distracted as much and they pay pay attention to the stuff that really resonates for them and that's where the truth lies and that's where we are always getting less of it we're not we're never being told the truth and and um but the truth is something when you feel it you know it and i just wish there was more of that I, it's beyond my control. And if you're talking about commerce and industry, we're conditioned not to pay for anything now. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I, I like the free space of just sharing information. Maybe from that, it sparks something where a new artist is born, or at least, you know, you can go back in time and, and that if it's preserved, if it's preserved, you can look at Ava 
You can look at Ava when she was wearing blue jeans and not a dress and you say, I have blue jeans too. And then it's not, it's not as mystifying, but I mean, these are very special people. Anybody that's ever accomplished anything in life has worked, worked towards it. And you just can't feel like everything's in your entitlement and, and everything's designed to be immediately gratifying. You have to respect nature. You plant those seeds and then you cultivate, you know, like anything, you know. So I know you're doing your part and I, I think it's great that we're we're hopefully provoking some thought, but you know, even if it's just among ourselves. But but um I I, I can't I don't think it's health I don't think it's healthy to think that you have to represent everybody when everybody feels like they have an opinion. I hear you. And I think it's a good place to end it. And um, if you have anything else to say, Mario, you can say it. And if not, we can wrap it up. Yeah, I just want to say thanks to Mike for uh, taking out the time and joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm sorry, all this background noise, but uh, hopefully people heard it. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a very interesting period of time. You know, it's we're really on the cusp of whatever the change is. You know, it's very interesting. It's exciting. And I hope everybody's healthy and can maintain or regain their sanity in, in the midst of this stuff, you know, but um, it's the same struggle. I mean, it's, it's you know, don't don't think that uh, it's going to change much if you're black. It's the same. Yeah. We just haven't had a taste of it like this for a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all get through it if we wash our hands. <laughs> buy, buy that Jay-Z soap. You right. know, they'll stop, well, we'll stop making records and sell soap to you. Well, we're going to see where we go now that they've sort of put this idea out there that black people are more susceptible to uh, dying from this disease. And now everybody's like, oh, OK, well, let's open up the economy again. You know, so we'll see where it goes. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And uh, check out Real Black on YouTube and also go to realblack.com. Check out more of his stuff. Thanks again for joining us. Everybody be good. Peace. Thank you.